We need a friend. This whole curriculum is based upon one urgent conviction that the American church needs help. Beyond corporate prayer and widespread repentance, the pressing need for our present moment is for individual churches to give a life and death seriousness to the need for discipleship. Discipleship is the great omission in most of our churches, and this omission is a crisis. It doesn't matter how many people attend church or how good the preaching or music are. If the people who are coming are not growing into strong, mature disciples of Jesus, if we're not making disciples, then the church is missing the target. And we are missing the target. We're missing the very heart of what our Lord made clear is to be our primary mission, making and growing strong and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to be spending time with Jesus, altering our schedules so that we can learn from Jesus how to live in the kingdom of God today. Salvation is not just about going to heaven when we die. It's a way of life that Jesus called abundant and eternal. Jesus has given us a whole new way to be human. Growing as a disciple means growing in our hearts, souls, wills, and mind in the certain confidence that Jesus is telling us the truth about reality, that His voice is the wisest, that Jesus knows how to live. This curriculum has attempted to spell out discipleship essentials, that is, what a man or woman needs to digest and internalize to follow God faithfully. We've stressed that this curriculum is only a tool, that what's much more important is to striving to live out these truths relationally so that the gap between what we profess and how we experience God, this gap can be closed. Self-aware souls recognize this gap, and we ask, how can it be narrowed? And we've said a big part of the answer has to do with the habits that we choose, the things we stop doing, but also the things we need to start doing. We're unlearning old ways and putting on new habits. To be clear, it's the grace of God that changes us. We're merely uh, choosing to put ourselves in the place where God's transforming grace can be accessed. We are training, not trying. We are practicing, doing what we can, in the hope that God, by His grace, will enable us to do what we can't. In recent weeks, uh, we've talked about meditation, learning to read the Bible for transformation. We've talked about beginning to pray. We've mentioned the importance of being in a worshiping community. But community can get vague pretty quickly. Nothing comes easier than discouragement about the church. As the old joke goes, the church would be great if it weren't for all the people. And you've come a long way when you know the biggest problem in the church you attend is you. My old preaching professor, Dr. Cleophis LaRue, would be upset with me because I've set the table but haven't yet given you a meal. So let me state my point simply as I can. You will not make progress in your life as a disciple without a friend, without a true spiritual friend. Today we're tightening the lens on God's call to new community. That was lesson 10. But so as to focus more particularly on the need for spiritual friendship. I'd go so far as to say it's essential for growing in Christ.
And while we may have lots of friends, precious few of us have a true spiritual friend or even know what that is. There needs to be someone in your life of the same gender before whom you're an open book and to whom you've given a hunting license to point out your blind spots and inconsistencies, whose loyalty has been tested and with whom you share an overriding passion to know Jesus Christ today. Let's help each other run hard after Christ in such a way as to get the prize, encouraging one another, admonishing one another, and helping one another along the way. Friends tear down walls to make a way to carry one another to Christ, whatever it costs. I feel strongly about this because my life has been touched by a few friends. I did a sermon on this a few months back, and if you want a more thorough biblical treatment, you can access it on our website. I will repeat that loneliness is an epidemic today, literally killing us. We are dying from our lack of intimate relationships. We've lost a sense of what it means to be a friend, and so few of us have experience with having a true friend. Our understanding of friendship has been so diluted that what we call friendship today would hardly have been recognizable in the ancient world. Aristotle closed his famous treatise on ethics by listing friendship as the key to happiness. And C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Four Loves, documents that in the ancient world, friendship was considered to be the most valuable of all human relationships. Whereas today, he says, it is the least valued. How did this demotion occur? Well, Lewis suggests, quote, few value friendship because few experience it, close quote. Now, we might object. I have a lot of great friends. What? Are they deal friends or are they real friends? You know, we have acquaintances, people we like and with whom we're friendly, with whom we share a common interest or a common stage of life, and these are wonderful and even necessary. But those aren't true deep, let alone spiritual friendships. I think C.S. Lewis was right that few value friendship because few experience it. And Lewis was writing more than 60 years ago. We've so devalued the concept today that we've turned the word friend into a verb that can be actualized by a click. So what is a true spiritual friend? Well, I'm going to list four constituent ingredients, but I'm going to dwell mostly on the fourth. But first, a shared passion to know Christ. I want to know Christ. This is the cry of a disciple's heart. And I want to help both of us know Christ better is the refrain of a true spiritual friendship. Friendships of any sort arise when companions discover they have something in common, which until that moment each believed to be his own unique experience. It's when you say with a flash of surprise, you too, you feel that way too? Lewis says, whereas lovers stand eye to eye, friends stand shoulder to shoulder, absorbed in a common passion, which is why he says those poor people who simply want friends can never make any, because the very condition of friendship is that we care about something besides making friends. To be clear, you can be friends and you can be Christians, but that doesn't mean you have a spiritual friendship. Friendship may be rare enough, but as St. Augustine said, a spiritual friendship is two together with Christ as their bond. You may have several things in common, or perhaps little else in common, but if the desire to know Christ is your abiding passion, then in a spiritual friendship, sooner or later, 
Almost every conversation will turn back to Jesus as you journeyed, journeyed together in his call to follow me. Jesus is your bond and Jesus is your goal. Second, a clear and considered commitment. We may expect that friendships will just happen over time in shared experiences, and that's often how friendships form. But a true spiritual friendship often takes something that we're not accustomed to today, a thoughtfully considered commitment. The Bible says that Jonathan made, quote, a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. That's strange language. Why didn't he just say, let's be friends? Why say anything? Because when you're making a covenant, you bind yourself to another with a promise. In Jonathan and David's case, Jonathan's dad, King Saul, was trying to kill David. So Jonathan made a promise to bind his soul to his friend David. Now, we rarely make covenants today except in marriage. But functionally, don't we still do something like this? We test the waters, dip our toe in. Is this someone I can trust? Will they keep my confidence? Is this someone I admire? And the people who pass that test, who demonstrate worthiness over time, we come to call our closest friends. This commitment may be often unspoken, but it must be felt for a true friendship to form. When you love someone, you want them to have confidence in your devotion so they'll feel safe confiding in you. Now this will sound strange to our modern ears, but am I saying that you have to be as deliberate and intentional about choosing your spiritual friends as you would about choosing a spouse? That's exactly what I'm saying. And I learned about this from a 12th century monk named Elred in his book, Spiritual Friendship. Elred wrote, A friend ought first to be selected, then tested, then finally admitted. But listen to how his sentence ends. Quote, But from then on, treat it as a friend deserves. Elred is saying because friendship is such a big commitment, it requires some testing, similar to dating, through a process of discernment. You're discerning, is this someone to whom I can entrust my soul? Now, in different seasons of life, you'll have acquaintances. Some of them might be dear. Will this become a spiritual friend? Elred warns, not all whom we love should be received into our friendship. Since your friend, the companion of your soul, is one to whom you entrust your soul, and therefore to whom you hide nothing. He warns, you must choose then one who is fit for this. And he continues, he or she is to be tested. A friend must be chosen with the utmost care and tested with the extreme caution. But once admitted, should be so born with that as long as he or she does not withdraw, you are bound, close quote. Now, that may sound unrealistic to you, but perhaps that's why so many of us don't have long-standing intimate friendships. And that brings us to a third strand in the fabric of friendship, and that is a proven loyalty. Proverbs 20, verse 6 reads, Many profess their loyalty, but a faithful friend who can find. Loyalty starts with presence, and presence requires time. Loyal friends make time for one another in the midst of many competing demands. Time to listen to one another, because listening is caring. A friend makes time for you because your friendship is a priority to them, and vice versa. Loyalty, it should be said, is more than, let me know if you need something. A companion says that, and they mean it sincerely. But a friend, he or she shows up. 
A friend shows up when you're in need, and that's why, incidentally, you can't have many true friends because you don't want 10 people showing up at your house at midnight, but you might like one or two. Because sooner or later, you'll go through a storm, perhaps even a mess of your own making. And when the hard rain falls, you'll find out who your true friends are, and you'll most likely discover it's not who you expected. In times of grief, some will withdraw in their own discomfort, But a loyal friend, he or she will draw near, even if you've embarrassed yourself in front of the world. Elred said that too. He said, a rich man's friends abound, but loyalty is proven in adversity. Friendship is tested and proven in adversity. Proverbs 18.24 says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother which was a remarkable statement in a culture as family-focused as the ancient Near East. Yet a true friend is someone who shows themselves more loyal than your own flesh and blood. A loyal friend has your back and has your back behind your back, even when they're tempted to take sides in a conflict or to be pulled into triangulation. Elred writes, Nothing is more praiseworthy in a friendship than loyalty. Think Samwise Gamgee carrying Frodo up the mountain when Frodo just couldn't go anymore. It's Hermione saying, if you want to kill Harry, he'll have to kill us too. A true friend says, I'd rather die than let you down. And where I have let you down, it kills me to have so wounded you. And finally, and where I want to focus, a painful honesty. A true friend is honest first with you honest with you, and and I should add first about himself. Before you dare to hold the blade to another person's neck, there had better already be some blood on the floor, your own, from the painful admission of your own specific sins and failures. There are no secrets in genuine friendships, which is why commitment and loyalty are essential, because we all fear we'd be abandoned when people find out what we're really like. But a true friend opens up her heart and is truly vulnerable. Watch out here, though. Brene Brown warns that some of the most vulnerable-seeming people may actually be keeping others at arm's length, telling just enough to not really let anyone in. How can you know if the honesty is deep and true? Well, tears are a good sign. Have they broken down and wept in front of you, messily and uncontrollably? Friends cry together. 1 Samuel 20 ends, they wept with one another, David weeping the most. Beyond admitting what's happened, real honesty is being vulnerable with another about your true feelings. It's Joseph before his brothers, or Ruth with Naomi. One of the great barriers to genuine friendships, especially among men today, is that we almost never see the sort of genuine emotional transparency. Friendships require intimacy, And intimacy is just not possible without honesty. What the Bible calls walking in the light. That is, telling the truth about ourselves. And this includes confessing our sins. True spiritual friends, quote, confess their sins to one another. It's James 5, verse 16. Walking in the light requires searing honesty. And why is it searing? Because if it's genuine, it's always scary and painful because it's almost always humiliating. But it's also liberating and healing. As the old saying goes, you're only as sick as your secrets. 
The German martyr and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, He who is alone with his sins is utterly alone. The final breakthrough to real fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers, as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. He's saying that Christians can remain isolated when we conceal ourselves behind our carefully manicured reputations. We dare not be honest for fear of what the righteous may say about us or do to us. And so we hide from one another. I'm not just talking about outright deception. More often, it's implicit. Shading the truth, explaining ourselves, putting a positive spin on things. But a mark of true confession, one to another, is letting go of caring about our appearance and our cherished desire for respectability. Bonhoeffer again, in the confession of concrete sins, the old man dies a painful, shameful death before the eyes of a brother. And concrete is the key word here. You can tell the sincerity of the contrition by the specificity of the confession. And Bonhoeffer says this is always painful and shameful. It feels like death. But we can only walk in the light by letting God and at least one other person see the full extent of our darkness, even if it mostly comes out in the form of the thing that seems to anger Jesus the most, our own putrid self-righteousness. And here's why we said you need another spiritual friend besides your spouse. Ideally, your spouse should be your best and truest friend, but precisely because that is often not the case, we need someone of the same gender to avoid unhealthy attachments before whom we lay bare our soul our secrets, our fears, our most shame-filled struggles. A primary way we bear one another's burdens is by carrying these secret shames and failures, holding them in complete confidence and with a deep empathy. I could do the same or worse. Or let me tell you what I've done so you don't feel afraid to confide in me about what you've done. This is the only path to genuine friendship where in the name of Jesus we, quote, gospel one another proclaiming the sufficiency of Christ's blood, God's desire to forgive us completely, His ability to save to the uttermost, and His promise to cleanse us from all our sins. Confession heals. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. While the devil tempts us to despair by reminding, accusing, rubbing our noses in our sins, Confession becomes an occasion for thanksgiving and worship where we courageously open our hearts before a friend so that he or she can proclaim and pour out God's forgiveness that we might begin to feel being fully forgiven and finally free. Bonhoeffer once more. Therefore, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself he cannot help himself. He needs his brother as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He concludes, the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his own brother. His own heart is uncertain, but his brother's is sure. That's gospeling one another. So friends are honest before one another and friends are also honest to each other. 
to each other, even at the risk of causing offense. A friend lets you in, but a friend also knocks on your door when you're trying to run away and hide. A friend dares to risk the friendship by telling you hard things that others may see but don't really care enough to say. Proverbs 27 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. One of my mentors likes to say, If you ever have to say, I'm only telling you this because I care, then you probably should not say what you're about to say because your care should be so evident that the cut will be felt as that of a sympathetic surgeon whose controlling desire is to heal. Sincerity is tested by loyalty. Cowards hit and run. But a friend, if she dares to cut you open, knows she's only doing that because she's obliging herself to stick with you and stay around for the cleanup and the long, slow process of change. It's Nathan going to David or Jesus with Peter. A friend is aware of sin's pervasive tendency to deceive and blind us from ourselves. You might be wondering, how will I find a friend like this today? Well, you must deputize someone. While I'm not crazy, I'm giving you permission to come after me when I do crazy, irrational things. Because being human, I'm prone to do that. And because I know you care about me, I'm giving you a hunting license to help me see what the Bible tells me we all have, blind spots. Their only hope to be healthy is to deputize a friend who cares enough about us to be honest with us, even when it hurts, even when we know that they might be prone to lash out and react poorly. Do you have someone who cares about you enough that they're willing to cause you pain, but is also committed to you for the long haul? Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. So there you have it, a passionate desire to know Christ, a considered commitment, a proven loyalty, and a painful honesty. These are the hallmarks of a spiritual friend. You might be thinking, well, I guess I don't have any because no one's like that for me. And if I'm honest, I can't say I've ever been a friend like that to anyone, you might be thinking. Well, part of getting a spiritual friend is raising the bar on what real friendship looks like. But let me ask you, is there anyone in your life who is like this for you? Who prefers your care to his own comfort? who is willing to set aside his status to come alongside you and help you at great cost to himself. Jonathan, we are told, preferred his friendship to David over his own kingdom. Is there anyone who sees you clearly and yet still pursues you, even after you may have treated them like an enemy? Jesus tells his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friends. And doesn't Jesus meet our criteria for true friendship? Is he passionate, thoughtfully committed? Is he loyal? And didn't Jesus make a covenant with us? Jesus would rather die. He'd rather go to hell than lose you. If faithful are the wounds of a friend, how much more faithful are those taken by a friend in our place? And Jesus is the most honest person in the universe. Yet in light, in full light of who we are, Jesus assures us that love is the ground of all reality. Yes, what a friend we have in Jesus. When you know Jesus and experience Him as the friend who sticks closer than a brother, more devoted to you than any friend could be, when you know you already have the friend you've always wanted, then you can begin to be the type of friend other people are certainly looking for. A true spiritual friend is always a gift, a gift from God. If you think, I want a friend like this, but I don't know where to start, 
We'll start by asking your good father. At the same time, you are going to have to risk. God calls us to love one another as he first loved us. And if we'll take Jesus at his word, then along the way, you'll almost certainly make one or two true spiritual friends. It starts by letting someone in, letting your armor down, letting them see you, and noticing who comes closer when they see you at your worst. Yes, it's a risk, and along the way you'll be disappointed, probably even betrayed at points, but along the way you will also find one of life's richest blessings, a true spiritual friend. Perhaps you know the last thing Jonathan said to David, the Lord shall be between me and you forever. That's 1 Samuel 20, verse 42. Now that's a spiritual friendship, so that nothing else will ever be between us. May the Lord always be between us. Spiritual friends accompany one another on the journey of personal transformation. And oh, how we need that, a friend on the way, if we're ever going to walk in the light. So, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, make cultivating a true spiritual friend one of your highest goals. Okay, see you next week.